thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread episode 89. I'm coming to you today from um, Manila, Philippines, and it's pretty warm outside. I've got the air conditioner off because it's a little noisy. But I got an old style fan in the ceiling, so if you hear that gentle whoosh to whoosh to whoosh, that's that's me trying to keep cool here in steamy Manila, an amazing city, really beautiful, beautiful city, and one that's got so much of a a bonded place in in our heart. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about uh, from a lesson in Acts chapter nine, and it's really something that's been on my heart, and I've been sharing it with as many people as I can lately. Because, uh, you know, we've said many times on the broadcast that if you want to be blessed, and I think we all do, well, we have to be blessable. And if we want to go beyond just being blessed and be used by God, well, then we have to be usable. And being usable requires certain attitude in our heart, and it requires uh, a certain set of reliable responses from us, because God is not in need of any uh, knickknacks. You know, things, people that just sit there and be pretty. He needs usable people, people he can send on missions, uh, people who uh, can can do things for him. And so if you want your life to be used by God, and I think you do or you wouldn't be listening to Thread, then there's some lessons uh, today from the book of Acts that we're all really going to want to draw from. Now, this is a story about one of my favorite Bible characters and somebody who's not that... Um, that often mentioned, and that's a brother named Barnabas. And the thing I really love about Barnabas is that he seems to have taken the the um, the core of the character of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and he seems to have really put that in his own heart. And he he causes uh, the you know the, well I guess I'm trying to say this you know you can do the Lord's work and still have a bad attitude. And you can do God's work and be in competition against other people doing God's work. You can be doing things for the Lord and be grumpy about it and feel pitiful. And, you know, it's like that. But Barnabas, I just can't find fault with anything that he does. He always seems to make his decisions based upon what he knows to be the heart of God. How how does Jesus feel about this? What is You know, because that's what we've said is a mature Christian. It's someone who loves what God loves and hates what God hates. They've just made the decision to retrain their heart in this way. So we're going to hear uh, today something about Barnabas and uh, an action that he took out of a response to the Holy Spirit, something he felt in his heart he was supposed to do and how he did it. Now, I have to give you a little backstory. Um, one of the biggest events in the New Testament is the conversion of the persecutor of Christianity, Saul of Tarsus. And we know how that story got started. He was in a place we could, uh, in a synagogue uh, near the temple area, and we could, we can imagine the scene because a, a group of what we think of as young seminarians got into a big theological discussion uh, with Stephen, one of the disciples of Jesus, and Stephen had an answer. He was one of the deacons in the early church, and he had an answer for everything that they wanted to debate about, and it really frustrated them. And finally, one of them just picked up a stone and crushed him in the head, and others joined. 
and they murdered him. And a seminary professor named Saul was standing there watching it, actually held their coats so they could swing their arms more freely. And, uh, you know, he should have been revolted at the sight, but something about it turned a switch on inside of him. And he, he perceived that he had a calling, that he was going to be a great, you know, like some of the great reformers in the Old Testament. He was going to purge Israel of this, of this growing cult about Jesus. Because, you know, every day in the temple steps, uh, we're told in the book of Acts, at least 5,000 people are gathering on those steps to hear the ways of Jesus taught by the apostles. They do it every day. They go there and sing worship and and you know the the tension that has been building in the capital city as the old religious establishment is being faced with this growing movement every day and they just want to do something about it and they can't find a thing to do and so Paul takes up the the torch and he runs with it and he starts killing Christians putting them in jail uh just leads a purge in Jerusalem and and he hurt many people uh some people he could not get to however uh, were the apostles, the, the senior leadership of Christianity, had found a way to hide itself from him, and he could not, for all his searching, lay hands on them. And so finally, we know the story from our last episode, finally, you know, he, he got letters and he was going to Syria to purge Christians from among the Jewish people there. And on that road, he met Jesus. He was knocked off his horse. Christ blinded his eyes spoke to him, humbled him, broke him, and Paul's heart was broken inside, and he realized how how wrong he had been and how self-righteous he had been. And he he you know he hung out with Christians who embraced him, the very ones that he had gone in Damascus to persecute, wrap their arms around him, call him Brother Saul, and take him into their number. And for three years Paul continues with them. But back in Jerusalem, things are still tense. You know, the, the advantage is clearly on the side of the persecutors. And the church continues to live in a persecution mode. The apostles are hiding. The people are very secretive. I, we don't hear about it, but I would doubt they're having their public gatherings anymore in the temple. Well, over a course of time, Paul gets himself involved in some disputes in Damascus arguing against those who uh, thought of Christianity as a cult, and he's arguing that, no, it's in the it's mainstream Judaism. It's right in the Scriptures, uh, who Jesus was, what He came to do. It's all right there, and he's teaching it and preaching it in the synagogues, and he's finally run out of town. Well, it's in the, the heart of Paul to go back to Jerusalem. He wants to go back there. He wants to meet the apostles. He wants them to teach him the ways of Jesus, because he's never met anybody who actually was trained by Jesus, and he he really craves that. He wants their fellowship. Uh, he wants to join with them, and he needs to face them and make this thing right, because he started a horrible persecution. He led one, and people were killed, and he needs to go back and apologize to them, and he needs to face them. And he goes back to Jerusalem, and he attempts to meet with with Christians and no one will meet him. At least no one in the executive level will meet with Paul. He tries to find them. He cannot. He sends them messages. They will not respond. And finally Barnabas hears about this situation. And Barnabas goes to meet Saul. 
and he sits with him and he listens to him. And he has that conversation that Christians so often have with each other. And it starts with, uh, tell me how you met the Lord. Because we're not held together by our race or by our food, by our politics or by our languages. Those are so different uh, among Christians. But we are all united around one thing, and that is Jesus saved us. We had an encounter with Christ that brought us salvation. And we love Him, and we live for Him. And a true believer can recognize another true believer in just a few minutes as we begin to share that story of our own personal encounter with Jesus. And so when Barnabas hears Paul's story, Barnabas is immediately convinced. You know, his heart echoes with Paul's heart that we are brothers. Now, he doesn't know what to do. I'm sure he sends a message to the apostles and they won't they just won't meet with Paul. And then Barnabas gets a uh, an impulse inside his heart. He gets a feeling that he's supposed to do something about this situation. It's not enough that he has personally responded to Paul and that they are now brothers and that they are now in fellowship. He needs to do something to fix what is messed up. Uh, in the the way the Christian group is is being led and the way that they are functioning, because I'm sure in his reasoning he can say we are we are making our decisions based on fear and mistrust. This brother has come here to repent. Jesus told us to be peacemakers. We're not making peace. We're not having anything to do with him, and that's not right. And I've met him. I know he's real. If these brothers could just meet him, they would know he's real. And so Barnabas takes Paul and says, well, come go with me. And they go through the labyrinth of the mazes in the streets and they finally get to a door and Barnabas puts his hand on the door and turns it and says, it begins. You know, he pushes the door open and he brings Paul in the room. And I wish we had a, you know, a snapshot of that first 15 seconds because the entire senior leadership of Christianity is sitting there and they wheel around and you know here's Barnabas who has effectively given Paul their persecutor their former persecutor uh, you know the the password the pin number he's led him around all their security that has kept them alive for three years and Barnabas has violated all that and he's just brought Paul right into their secret place and he introduces them, you know, brothers, you need to meet this man. And Paul sits down and begins to tell his story. And as soon as his story starts to pour out of him, the apostles are at once convinced that this man is really a brother. He really has met Jesus. And they embrace him. They realize that they've been wrong. And they embrace him and they pull him uh, into their fellowship. And he becomes one with them. Initiative. An initiative, you see, isn't, um, there's a long history of initiative in the scriptures from David and Goliath to Jonathan climbing the, the hill to fight the Philistines. The thing about an initiative is you don't know where it will go and you don't necessarily have a whole plan for how to solve the situation. Initiative simply means the opening move. And when you make an initiative, you make a move without permission you make a move without group consensus. You don't, it's not a response. It's the initiated, 
you know, it's the initiative. It's the initiating move. It's the first move, the, the opening move, the first step. It's when you introduce yourself first and you make the move first. And that is a characteristic that God has in himself. And if he can get that characteristic in us, he can use us because God is like this. You know, God didn't wait for the world and say, well, when they're all really, really sorry for their sin, then I'm going to forgive them. And if they'll come to me and apologize and try to make it right, I'll find some way to save them. No, he took initiative. He took the first step and created the situation that could bring us salvation. And we didn't ask for it. We didn't want it. We actually killed him for trying to bring salvation to us as he as Christ came to die for us on the cross. You know, God just acts. He acts first. And if he can get us to do that, he has great ability to use us. You know, all it would take for most people to do a tremendous job in evangelizing or or at least in powerfully ministering to the needs of other people would be just to introduce themselves first, just to invite themselves to people first, uh, invite people to come into their home. If, if you just set up and said, okay, Every, let's just take it easy, every other Friday night, we're going to have some unchurched person or family or just somebody that we've met that we feel drawn to. We're going to have them in our house and we're going to have a simple meal and just a couple of hours of talking and just being together. If that's all you did, you know, you speak first, you initiate, you find a way, you invite, you bring them to you. That It's that aggressive movement, that first step, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of God, um, bold people take it by force. And I think this is the characteristic he's talking about. Yeah, I think when I'm thinking about initiative, I think of a scene kind of like a Braveheart scene. You've got one army on one end and then there's a, a quarter of a mile of green field. And on the other end of it, there's another army massed and everybody's making the low rumbling noises. And the other side is, and then all of a sudden some guy breaks in the middle of, of the line and raises both arms and shakes his spear and starts running full blast at the other side. You know, that's initiative. It's the first one to act. The one who leads simply by doing it first. Now, initiative puts you at risk because as you make an initiative, you just have to hope that others are going to back you up and they're going to follow you, but you really don't know where an initiative is going to lead. You just know the first move and you just feel like you're supposed to do it. You know, it's not hard to look at people like uh, in the past generation. You could say Billy Graham, who just ran such a beautiful race as a servant of God. You could say, wow, look at all he did. And then you can back up and say, yeah, but... Who won him to the Lord? And you, we can, you know, we know the name of that man. And then you say, okay, well, but who won him to the Lord? And you know, you don't have to go more than two or three steps backward, and you'll you'll find yourself with obscure people that no one's ever heard of. And that's kind of what it's like with an initiative. Sometimes when you make an initiative, you succeed immediately, and it, you know, you get the victory. But other times, you make an initiative and. You might not directly see the result and you might actually lose what looks like you lose. But, you know, maybe your life is like a domino and you're just supposed to make the first move and then the domino falls and hits the second domino and hits the third. And maybe, you know, the one that everybody's going to notice 
is the fourth domino down the line. But, you know, what if the second domino refuses to fall? What if the first domino won't start at all? That's what I'm talking about. God uses people who will make the initiative. People who will, who see a need and then just go do something about it. Uh, I'm in Manila and I can't help thinking about a friend of ours named Lourdes. And Lourdes, you know, she, she never got married and she was never able to have a family. And she missed that, but she had a great job. And, uh, but she always longed, in her, in her heart, there was always this longing for children. And then a friend of hers who worked at the public hospital called her one day and said, we've got a, a young, you know, basically a baby girl that's been sexually abused and we've got her stitched up and she's, you know, she's okay for healing now, but I just don't want to leave her sitting in a hospital bed. Will you keep her for a couple of days until we can figure out, you know, how the system is going to, is going to handle her, the, the government system? And she said, yes, I would love to do that. So she took this baby home and, you know, a few weeks later, she got another phone call and it's, uh, well, can you, can you take another one? And before you knew it, she had more than six children and that was the whole new chapter in her life. And, and she raised those kids and she's done a fantastic job with them and their lives are a big example of what can happen when someone intervenes and someone takes an initiative, makes an initiative and they, they take that first step and they move toward them. God wants to do that with you. He wants to do that with me. But it, it requires, you know, initiatives, two things. One, initiative is the noun, and it's uh, the first action. You know, the first action in the sequence. It's the thing that starts everything rolling. But secondly, initiative is a characteristic of a heart where we can look at a woman, look at a man, and say, wow, that one's really special. They have initiative. It's a thing that you have inside. And if you're a child of God, let me tell you, you have initiative because the Spirit of God is in you and the God who initiates is living inside of you by His Spirit. And if you can get your faith up, because that's really what faith is, it's the boldness to act. It's the boldness to you know, take the initiative, to, to do it first, to step out first, to not hesitate, to not be safe. Because in your mind, there's a hundred reasons not to do it. And whenever you feel, you know, the thing to do and God shares with you the thing he wants you to do, um, you know, it may be a small thing or it may be a big thing. A lot of people have, have heard the voice of God, but we, we have an initial reaction where we push back from it and we think, oh, you know, I could get in trouble or they could think I'm stupid or I don't have the money or, but what about my career? And you get all these other thinkings that come into your mind, but that's what faith is all about. If you will exercise your faith at that moment and don't think about it for long. It's kind of like jumping off of a high, a high place. We just got back from Indiana and we snuck into a quarry, actually got in trouble with the uh, local law enforcement, but uh, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was awesome. It was a humongous limestone quarry uh, with walls, sheer walls. And on one side, the wall was about 30 feet high. And on the other and the wall was probably more like 70 feet high. And we were working up to that. And we got on the 30 feet high wall. And, you know, you stand there and you look down below and you see the water. And you know that it's deep enough to jump. And there's nothing you can do. There's not like a half jump. There's just do it. And you just can't. I don't know how other people do it, but I can't think about it. I just have to know before I even reach the edge, I'm going to do this. And when I get up near the edge, I just don't stop. I just take my one step and leap. And then it's done because I, I took the initiative. I initiated the fall. 
And then it's just to do the best I can at that point and enjoy the ride. And, you know, that's what God wants to do in your life. He's going to bring you to the edge of some decisions. He's going to show you the thing he wants you to do, maybe even this week. And maybe that's why he had me share on this today. But the Lord wants to use you. He wants you to reach out into the lives of other people. He wants you to make an impact. And you can do that if, as you come up to the edge of your decision moment, you'll just make the initiative, take the initiative, take that first action. And then you release an anointing from God and a chain reaction will happen at that point. And from that moment on, now you're just responding. You know, you start a thing, someone else is going to react to it. You respond to their reaction and now it becomes a living fluid back and forth thing. But it all begins with the initiative. And so thank God for Barnabas who had the initiative inside his heart to make an initiative and to take Paul by the hand and lead him to the other brothers because Paul was able, by going back to that same synagogue where the persecution started, he goes back to those same people. He's able to stand up in front of them. And I wish we could have heard his sermon. I bet it went something like three years ago I was here and we murdered a man outside. And this is why I thought it was right. And this is how I know it was wrong. And this is what Jesus has done in my life. And I'm here as a living witness. What we know is when Paul went and spoke to that same group, the persecution stopped. Something that he said diffused the whole situation and led, for the first time in three years, to liberty for the church. The the, the scripture says, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 31, And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And then the the apostles get out of the bunker and quit hiding. Peter goes on a missions trip and things start to happen for the New Testament church. All of it leads to your salvation and mine because it, it, it joined Paul to this group. They anointed him, they blessed him, and they endorsed him as he went as a, messenger to the Gentile people who we are all the representative of and through Paul's ministry now the Lord has reached us so you never know what's going to happen after you start an initiative it just it has a life on its own so be brave be bold the Lord is with you if you want to talk to me directly chuck at quinley.com that's my personal email address I would love to hear from you that's all for now See you next time. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com.